All right, so we are uh, together in the youth group. We're going through Matthew, so we'll be in Matthew today. Um, we're just going to continue where we are in there together here because it's actually, well, Matthew's a great book. I mean, every Bible of the book is great, but Matthew's a, a great book. And uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, so we're in Matthew chapter 5. So if you'll turn there with me, it's going to be our main source of text here. So when Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, what, uh, what he's doing, uh, it, it, it very much plays out as a, uh, a long kind of explanation of something that's in Matthew chapter four where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew five through seven, that Sermon on the Mount, kind of does this same thing, but in a lot more detail, right? Because repentance is about changing your mind. It's about rethinking what you thought you knew, and and the Lord reveals something to you, and you say, I've got to change my mind, and I've got to rethink this. And Jesus, he goes through point by point, step by step, and (coughs) he reveals surprising things. Right? We just finished going through the Beatitudes, and, and when you look at that, these are, he, he speaks of groups of people and the blessings that are upon them that are found in the Lord, and these are not like your typical group of people that you would look at and say, these are blessed people. Right? He talks about the poor, those who mourn. You wouldn't look at those people and say, these guys are blessed. And so he's, he's causing us to rethink what we think we know, Right? And he does this later from where we are. He does this later when he goes through the Mosaic law and he says consistently over and over again, he says, you have heard it said, right? So he's like, you think you know what the Mosaic law says, but I say to you something else, right? And so he's going to continue this pattern as we come to where we actually are. We are in Matthew 5, verse 13, and we're just going to do 13 to 16 today. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Okay, and so he says here, continuing through his sermon, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father, right, who is in heaven. (laughs) And this is such an interesting passage Many people have taught on it. You've probably read it many times. It's, it's so uh, casually known that people talk about being lights even if they're non-believers, right? And we, so I want to address that kind of thing today because I think the Lord doesn't want us to get caught up in thinking the way the world thinks about being a light, right? Because we can just run around and say, yeah, I'm being a light to the world, but the question is, is what light are you being to the world, 
right? Whose light are you shining? Because there is a difference simply between just like having light to show and the specific light that Jesus is talking about when he says that he has made us a light unto the world, right? I'm gonna focus on light and not so much on salt. They're, they're parallel in their application, but um, there's a lot more scripture reference to light than there is to salt. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna stick with light and then we'll, we'll run through that. And so the, the question really becomes... The very first question is, what is light, right? Because like, the Lord isn't like literally saying that we're like shining people. Like, I don't glow. I don't think I glow, uh, <laughs> right? And and so He's not like saying like you guys are like these like really bright objects that when people look at you, you know, your eyes, their eyes that like can really like tell that like you're bright or something. That's not what He's talking about. He's not talking about like physical light. He's talking about a spiritual sense. But I think if we go to our physical understanding of light, we're actually going to uh, uh, kind of glean some pretty cool information. So this is where my ten years for school of PhD physics comes in handy. This is the only part that it's useful for. <laughs> All right, so light, if you think about it, what's really cool, everyone here, right, we're all interacting with light at this very moment, right? I don't actually know where any of you are except that the light that is reflected and or absorbed and then then, uh, shot back at me from your person, whatever that is, comes to my eyes and my eyes interpret it. Right? And then I'm like, oh, look, Jack is over here. Right? But if the light doesn't come from you to me, I have no knowledge of you being there. Right? And so light is this carrier of information, right, about the presence of something else. Right? And it, Ephesians actually goes and makes this as much. Uh, known as that simple example. So let me turn to Ephesians real quick when Paul tells the Ephesian church that they should be living in the light. He talks about a generic property of anything that gives light. And he says, chapter five, not chapter four, I'm sorry. Um, He says in chapter 5, verse 8, You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out, that is proving, what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And then he says this, All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Light is about revelation. Light is about taking something that isn't seen and then making it seen because of the presence of light. So Jesus' call to us is to take something that the world cannot see and make it seen, right? He's telling us to take something that they have no way of seeing except by the light that we provide through Jesus Christ. And this begs the question is, what do we mean by the light of Jesus Christ, right? Because if, if, if we're making something known, right, what are we making known? You know, the world, they'll often say, and I, I came across various articles, um, you can, you know, do a quick Google search and you'll, you'll find it pretty easily. You just be like, 
be a light or something like that. <laughs> and in a secular sense, right, it's pretty, um, I don't want to say like disgusting or like terrible or like horrendous, you know, but in, in some sense, it's just, it's, it's very sad. It's very sad to see what people take of this idea of being a light, right? Because they, they come up with things that are falsehoods and they say, you know, let's make this your light. So, you know, they'll, they'll say things like, oh, well, you just need to be your absolute true self and, and let that shine no matter what and this kind of thing. And, and listen, guys, here's the reality that we're going to see as we continue to explore what light is, right? Is that if the light isn't Jesus, it's not light, if the light isn't Jesus, it's not light. If it's you, it's still darkness. If it's just you, it's still darkness. Jesus says something pretty interesting in, in his Sermon on the Mount here. If we go a few chapters forward, right, if we turn to chapter six, six and we go to verse 22, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is Jesus saying? He's saying that what you focus on determines what you're going to shine. What you're focusing on, what you're spending your time looking at, and I'm not just talking about like, am I watching movies? Am I, but what is your mind focused upon, right? That's what's going to shine through you. That's what's going to reveal things, right? And listen, if you're not focused on the only true light, right, then the light that's going to come out of you will just be darkness, and how great will that darkness be, right? And why do I say that there's only one true light? Because Jesus himself says so, right? Jesus is the light, and so if Jesus is the light, then we have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus revealing? Right? Because light is about manifestation. Light is about revelation. Right? What is Jesus revealing? Right? Well, this is pretty self-explanatory, as, as I hope that if, if you're a believer, that this, this is something that's self-evident. But I think it escapes us in a very everyday, practical kind of day-to-day -day basis, right? Is that Jesus is the revelation of God in his fullness, right? That we don't see God except by seeing Jesus, right? So when somebody comes and they say, oh, well, you know, I see God in in, in, in the, the Islamic culture here and in this and that. Listen, you can see shadows and hints of things because God has also made himself to be revealed through creation, as it says in Romans 1, but Hebrews 1 tells us that he is the express image of his glory. He is the brightness of of his glory, very much in the same way that you cannot see the sun except we don't know the sun is there except for the fact that the light comes to us from that. We don't know God until we see the light of Jesus, right? And if we aren't focused on the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, the light that we're going to show is not going to be light, right? It has to be an extreme, exclusive focus upon Jesus the person, right? And I think 
we can confuse Jesus the person sometimes with Jesus and the principles that follow, right? We'll get to the practicality of this in a second, but just keep that in mind that we're, we need to be focused on Jesus the person and not just some rules and regulations and principles and some quote-unquote Christian values, right? We need to be focused on Christ more than Christian values, right? Which might sound contradictory, but it'll make sense as we go along, <laughs> right? So turn with me Turn with me to Ephesians 5. And uh, we're going to, uh, in, this, in this hunt for understanding Jesus' meaning, right, we're going to contrast. We're going to contrast something here, right? If light is the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, then darkness must inevitably be anything that is not the revelation of, of God through Jesus Christ. That, that is where darkness is. And we can actually see this pretty interestingly described in Ephesians 4. So look at this. This says in Ephesians 4, chapter 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, because you now see something, because you now know something, you shouldn't walk the way that you used to walk, as the Gentiles do. He says, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. How is it darkened? Being alienated from what? The life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. You see, they purposed to be ignorant, right? They, they rejected the revelation of God. Romans 1 makes it pretty clear to us as well. We'll go to Romans 1 real quick. And I think this is going to help us understand the practicality of light, of living in the light, of doing what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. Because Romans 1 at the beginning... Paul, in the, in the first few chapters of Romans, uh, he basically lays, lays to waste any idea that you can stand before God based on your own works. He basically takes every kind of thought that you could have about why you would be good before the Lord, and he shows you why you're not, right? And one of the first things that he does is he really lets us in on a little secret about sin, right? He lets us know something about the root cause of sinfulness, and so he says this, the wrath, this is a verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. What's not seen is clearly seen. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that what? So that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So here's the thing. When we talk about light, when we talk about being able to interact with light, it demands a response. Right? Like if I'm blind and I walk into that door, even though it's closed, Right? and I run into it, nobody's going to really fault me for being like, well, he just didn't see it. Right? But 
if I am fully aware that it's there and I walk into it, then we would say something is wrong, right? We would say I've done something mistakenly. Listen, God, he's, he's not hidden is what he's saying here, right? You, we don't have an excuse to say, God, I just didn't know that, it, that I shouldn't sin. I just didn't know that I shouldn't respond to who you are, right? Because this word glorify, man, that's an interesting word. It's an interesting word when he talks about glorification. And it's funny because that's the same word that Jesus said when he said that you're going to be lights. What did he say? And then they will see your good works and do what? They'll glorify the Father, right? See, the lack of glorification leads to this. If you read this, this is a long list of very... uh, heavy sins and things like that, right? Begins with this lack of glorification. Glory is a word that's meant to invoke the, the terms of, of weight and, 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 and stature, right? Something that is glorious, you, you could think of it as having great weight, right? You might say, back to my physics examples, again, this is the only reason I got a PhD, (laughs) so I could give multiple physics examples, Um, right? That the sun contains a glory, right? And we can measure this by kind of understanding its mass in comparison to, say, the earth's mass, right? And, and the mass of the earth is clearly much smaller than the mass of the, of the sun. Why do we know this? Because the earth orbits the sun, not the other way around, right? This means that the influence that the sun has is greater on the earth than the earth has on the sun, right? The sun, therefore, is more weighty, more massive, more influential, more powerful, more important in terms of it determines the trajectory of the earth. The earth does not determine the trajectory of the sun. Guys, God, like the sun, is so glorious, his influence, his power, his reality, his importance, it cannot be denied. He influences us, right? Even all the way to the point of salvation, if we think about that, he who did the first step. It's his influence upon us that makes all the difference. He is glorious, and the only thing that truly has that kind of weight, right? And yet, sillily, is that a word? Sillily? I think so. <laughs> right? We ignore his importance. We ignore his value. And so to glorify him is to ascribe to him the proper value due him because of who he is in reality. So you see, by seeing Jesus, you see who God is in reality and you respond to him appropriately according to who his real person is. And so then Jesus' call to us is that we would do the same thing is that we would make people see how valuable, important, influential, and beautiful the Lord who they cannot see really is. How do we do that? Through Jesus Christ. 
only through Jesus Christ. Because if you're going to shine something else, it's not going to be the real Lord. If you're not going to shine Jesus, you're going to shine something else, and that thing won't have the glory of the Lord, will it? It's going to have maybe your glory, which isn't much. It's going to have the glory of a government system, which isn't much. It's going to have the glory of just a nice political ideology, a nice sociological ideology, and those things will all fade, and they'll all not measure up. They're not weighty enough to deal with what needs to be dealt with in life. Only God contains the weight to be able to handle what needs to be handled in life, right? And so it is of the utmost importance that what we're showing is the real Jesus, because only the real Jesus is the one who shows the real Father. Jesus said it himself, if you've seen me, Philip was asking him, right? Jesus was having this conversation, he has great conversations with his disciples. Philip asked him, you know, when will these things be and stuff like that. And then the conversation continues. Jesus is talking about the end times and stuff like that. And he's like, okay, okay, Jesus, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus, I I can imagine he just sits there. He's like, he like does one of those side glances, like looking at the other disciples, like what? What are you talking about? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. (laughs) He's like, have you not been with me so long? Like, you've been literally with me, interacting with me. And by interacting with me, do you not realize that you have been interacting with the Father the whole time? Like, what? (laughs) Only through Jesus do you get access to the Father. And he makes a pretty bold statement later when he says, listen, if you don't have me, then you don't have the Father, right? Jesus is that light, period. There is no other light to shine. And the only way that we shine that light, Jesus pointed out in in, in chapter 6 there, just a little bit ahead, the only way you shine that light is by focusing on the true light. By focusing on the true light. And so, if Jesus is the true light, Jesus is the revelation of God, I guess the real question is, what does he reveal about God that's so unique? Right? What does he reveal? Because we saw here in Romans 1, that creation reveals something about God, right? Creation reveals something about God. The law reveals something about God, right? The Mosaic law certainly does. It's good, it's righteous, creation is good. It it accomplishes what it's supposed to accomplish in, in glorifying God, right? What does Jesus reveal specifically about the Lord? Let's turn to Romans 5. Romans 5 tells us about the work of Jesus on, on, on the cross and what it has accomplished, right? It speaks to us about what we have in him. By placing faith in him, the things that this results in. And he says in chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom Also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, this is what Jesus did, in due time, Christ 
died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love. God has revealed to us the depths of his love in Christ. Something absolutely unfathomable, right? The Jews didn't understand how much the Lord loved them through the law. You know, that was hidden. It was veiled, you know, but it's made plain in Christ the love that he has for his people, right? And guys, when we see the God who loves us, when we see the glory of his grace, the gospel itself in its fullness, that changes everything, right? You see, I would dare to suggest that we sin because we don't fully appreciate and understand the good news, right? Because look at what, I'm just, we're, on a, we're on a journey today through the Bible, so just stick with me. We're, first John, let's go to First John, okay? Because First John, he's talking about this love that's revealed in Christ and, and living in it, and he says something that honestly, for many people, sounds more like a conviction than it does like a piece of comfort, right? He says this in John chapter 4. <clears throat> he says, love has been perfected among us. Uh, this is 417. John, 1 John chapter 4, 17. Did I say John? I'm sorry, I meant 1 John. <laughs> 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Listen, sometimes people read that sentence and they're like, well, I'm afraid, so I guess like, you know, I don't know the love of God or something. You know, like I'm just, uh, it's just useless or something. No, but you know what? We have to sit in awe at this kind of love that you could come before him in complete confidence, right? We who have no right to be before him without his condemnation upon us, he has set by his own power, he has set us before him because of his love. Guys, when we understand that we are that loved, right, when we understand that we are that loved, the freedom is there. Right? Because it's when we don't understand that we're living in fear. We're living in fear of condemnation. We're living in fear of retribution. We're living in fear of what others, of not measuring up. Right? All of these things which drive us to sinful tendency. Why? Because we're not glorifying the revealed God. Right? We might even be focused on saying, listen, I, I want to do right things because God says do right things, but there's a whole nother piece of revelation that we need. There's a whole nother piece, and that's that part that says that God has done it all on your behalf through Jesus Christ. Listen, if we're stuck on just, I need to do right things for the Lord, you're just like the Israelites living under the law, and you're gonna run yourself ragged <coughs> 
simply trying to live that life in fear, in fear of condemnation, in fear that the Lord is, that you're not measuring up to the Lord. Guys, there's a freedom and a reality that we can live in because of the light of the glory of the gospel, right? And we have to focus, we have to be intently focused upon the light of this gospel, of Jesus Christ himself, right? It is the only light that we have in this world to guide us and to navigate us through very, very difficult decisions, right? Listen, what are you supposed to do when culture around you seems like it's headed in a downward spiral away from the Lord. What do you do about that? Do you fight? Do you yell? Do you scream? Do you kick? What do you do, right? We need a source of light that illuminates for us the proper way to handle the darkness that surrounds us, you know? And so... To finish up, we're going to look at four ways that focusing on what's revealed about God in Christ, how this practically looks in our life, and how this will lead to the glorification of the Father. Right? Just a couple practical things, just because these aren't exhaustive, like in any sense, and I'm like saying these are the only four things that like, ever have to be done or anything like that. But I think these are four, four things that stand out in today's particular kind of uh, setting, in the setting that we live in today. So the first one is that when we focus upon the gospel of Christ and we focus upon him as a person, that we become a people who are passionate for prayer. Right? A people who are passionate for prayer. Listen, the secular world thinks prayer is a useless and stupid thing. Right? They think it literally accomplishes nothing. Right? But the gospel, the light, has shown us two very important things. One, that God responds to prayer. <laughs> but two, that we are an absolutely dependent people. Right? You see, we think that we don't need to pray because we think that we can do it ourselves, right? But what God has shown us clearly, and this is the part that's usually offensive to everybody about the gospel, what he's shown us is that you can't do it, right? That's a pretty big offense to a lot of people, right? The Lord looks you right in the face and he says, you're in the wrong and you can do zero things about it, right? <laughs> You're like, thanks, Lord. <laughs> now what? Now what? Jesus. That's what, right? That's what. But you know what that means? It means every blessing, every promise, everything that we have in God comes by being entirely dependent upon Jesus, right? And if we're entirely dependent upon Jesus, that's going to drive your prayer life. Right? Because listen, I don't want to take a step. I don't want to take a breath. I don't want to make a decision unless I take it to Jesus first. Right? Because I don't have the answers, but Jesus does. But on another side of this, we are a community that's like this. Right? And this is something that's going to be surprising to the world always. Right? It might be surprising to you. <laughs> right? James 5. And 1 John 1, they both talk about prayer and confession of sin, 
right? James 5 talks about that you should confess your sins to your brethren, and so does, and, and, and 1 John 1 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he actually uh, attributes that to, in correlation with walking in the light himself, when they're in, in 1 John chapter 1. And what this means, guys, is that part of walking in the light is, is walking in an open community together, ready to confess our sins one to another. Do you understand that you, because of the light of Jesus Christ, because of what we know about the love of God, you don't have to be ashamed that you're still in sin sometimes, that you're still stuck w- dealing with problems, that, you, you, that you're not perfect yet, that you're not complete. You know what? That's okay as long as you're bringing it in confession. We're not here for celebration of sin. We're here for confession of sin, right? Like if you're, if you're in sin and you're like, well, just, just kind of let's be okay with that. I'm just gonna stay in this forever and that's it. No, no, no. But if you agree with the Lord that it's sin, guys, we can openly confess to each other without shame and help each other out, right? That Galatians 6 says that those who are spiritual among you restore those who are not, Right? We need to be a community, this is going to be a bright light for sure, a community that accepts every confession of sin and, and, and helps along in that process of becoming more like Jesus, right? The world doesn't have that. There's, there's none of that in the world. If you don't measure up, you're out and that's it, right? But in Christ, if you don't measure up, as long as you recognize you don't measure up, you're fine. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's move on. Let's, let's build again. Let's build each other up, you know? Secondly, right, we'll be a people that are passionate for purity, right? So purity, interestingly, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter five, just a few verses back when he's going through the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, right? Purity is all about the, 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 I want to say the reality, but that's not, that's not really what I want to, that's not the word I'm looking for. It's all about the untainted nature of something, right? That, that when I have pure gold, there's not other things in it, right? There are no impurities. And as a matter of fact, the, the refining process for gold involves heating it up so that way the impurities come out and you scrape them away and what's left is more pure gold, Right? Guys, we want to see clearly the real Jesus. I don't want my faith to be in like half Jesus, half myself, half the government. That's not, doesn't equal whole, but that's fine. <laughs> it's one and a half, so. <laughs> that's why I did physics, not math. Anyway. <laughs> uh, right? Um, I don't want that. I want my faith to be in Jesus. Pure faith only in Jesus, right? I don't want it to be in another person. I don't want it to be in myself. And you know what? What's cool about that is that as we are people passionate for purity, we'll also be a people who are welcoming to the purification process, right? Because listen, sometimes God has to burn up some things in your life so that way you don't have faith in them anymore, right? You had faith in money, right? He might take that away and be like, that wasn't a good thing to have faith in, right? Have faith in me, 
You have faith in a political candidate, he might burn that up too and say, you shouldn't have faith in that, you should have faith in me, right? He wants to refine your faith into the purest form so the only thing that's left is this beautiful, precious thing. It's actually the only thing that he says that is precious, right? Silver and gold, they fade, but he calls this 1 Peter 1, he calls the faith that we have there, that's that precious thing, right? That is refined by the fires of trial. Thirdly, Right? The first two are more like internal kind of uh, reflections, kind of ways to view your life on your, on your own um, in your like, quiet time. These last two will focus more on an outward kind of, uh, kind of thing. Um, we'll be patient with people. I'm trying really hard with the P's here, you know. So <laughs> we'll be patient with people, right? Listen, because of the love of God, because our focus is on this light that is revealed through Jesus Christ and what he has shown, right, we'll be patient with people. Look at me. Well, you don't have to look. I'm just going to describe it. But you can turn there. John 8, in the, in the first part there, I'm just going to paraphrase what happens in, in the first part of John 8. Right? In the first part of John 8, Jesus, an adulterous woman, is brought to him. Right? She was caught in the very act, they say, which, of course, we always have to ask the question, where's the other guy if she was caught in the act? But that's, they're both supposed to be stoned. Have you not read the law? But anyway, um, they bring this woman to him. They want to cast stones. They ask Jesus. They're trying to trap him as they, interesting. Um, they're trying to trap him as they always, always do. Never works because Jesus is just thinking on a whole different level than they are. Um, and, uh, Jesus, he stoops down, he writes on the ground, right? He stands up again, stoops down, writes on the ground. These guys are like, he's like, whoever's without sin among you, you know, cast the first stone. He's writing on the ground, you know. They leave, they leave. He gets up, and now he deals with this sinful woman who is before him, right? He gets rid of the accusers first. He doesn't want to deal with, with her in front of them, Right? This is a personal matter between him and her. Right? But when he deals with her, he does something very interesting. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none, Lord. Jesus is the only one in this situation who could rightfully accuse her and condemn her. When he says, you know, who, who is with, he who is among you without sin cast the first stone, he can totally do that. It's well within his rights because he has no sin, right? As a matter of fact, he will come back to judge. He's perfectly in the position to judge. He's not incapable of judging, but he doesn't in this moment. He says, neither do I condemn you, right? And we like to stop there. (laughs) We like to stop there. We're like, good, Jesus doesn't condemn her, right? And then she went off and she committed more adultery. No, (laughs) that's not what it says, He says, go and sin no more, right? So when we're living in the world, we live with this patience with people where, of course, we recognize sin, but we have to recognize the truth of something else. This is not the day of condemnation. This is not the day of judgment. That day is coming, right? Today is, is a day of grace, a day of reconciliation. We are 
pleading with people to be reconciled, right? Does that involve informing them of sin? Of course, because they need to know what they need to be reconciled from. <laughs> you need to know that you're, you're off the mark to be able to get back on the mark, right? But listen, when we go around and we let people know that they're in sin, it's also with the qualifier that Jesus had that he says he's not condemning them right now. Do you understand? When, when, when a gay person walks into this, this place and they say, man, I recognize that I'm in sin, right? And they confess that. That's not a time for us to go, yeah, go fix yourself, get out of here, right? That's a time for us to say, yeah, you're right, that is sin, definitely, the Lord's not going to condemn you for it right now. Go and sin no more. In Jesus Christ, go and sin no more. It's a whole different way. It's a light that people don't see anywhere else. You'll never see that except in Jesus. That kind of upholding of the beauty of the law, but at the same time, calling people to himself. Right? Am I practically good at it? No. <laughs> right? I'm always like too judgy or like too like, oh, it's okay. The Lord doesn't really care. The Lord cares a lot. The Lord cares a lot about your sin. That's why Jesus died. Right? If he didn't care so much, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Is it a big deal? It's a monumental deal. Right? Oh, it's just a white lie. It's a huge deal. It's a very, very big deal. It cost Jesus his life. Right? But. He's not going to judge you for it right now. He's not going to judge you for it right now. Finally, living in this light, right? Living in this light takes us to probably one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things um, to really just focus on and think about is that we have a purpose for pain, right? We have a purpose for pain. That's like a very surprising, shocking statement because most people think that God saves us uh, either in spite of suffering or from suffering, right? But I would suggest to you that Jesus saves us through suffering, right? First Peter, you can read it on your own time, but First Peter really details this in a very, very uh, good way when he's speaking to people who are experiencing far more suffering than you and I have ever experienced in America, Right? When he's talking to people who have been dispersed because the government around them is literally burning them alive, right? And they have to flee from where they are because of their belief in Christ, right? I haven't seen too many Christians in America being burned for believing Jesus. So we're not there yet, right? But to those people, he doesn't say, he doesn't say the suffering will stop. He doesn't say that God is not present in the suffering and all of this stuff. He tells them to endure and to glorify God in the suffering, not around it, not, not without it, not to look for a better situation, but he says in the suffering to glorify God. Look, when when we understand the light of the fact that God is never against us in Christ, 
that the circumstances of your life are actually for you, right? That they're for you to glorify him in, right? Man, we've got power over every circumstance of life, over death, over life, over heartache, over everything. Paul, you know, when he was writing to the Corinthians, they were having this argument about Paul and Apollos and who was like the better teacher and like who, it's kind of like somebody was like, yeah, well, I like Chuck Smith versus, you know, like something like that, you know? Um, they're like, so, you know, you're not a real Christian if you don't go to Calvary Chapel, some stupid argument like that, you know? Um, and Paul is dealing with that. <laughs> and he says, toward, he says this crazy thing. He says, talking to the Corinthian church, he says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or life or death. And he continues that all things are Christ and Christ is God's and he continues that, that kind of thing and he finishes that. But what a surprising sentence to say that life and death are yours. Paul mentions it even when he's talking in Philippians chapter one and he says, I am convinced that God will be magnified in my body, how, whether by life or by death. Guys, every circumstance of life, the pain, the suffering, the good times and the bad, they are for you. They're not just something to be avoided. They're a tool in your hand to glorify God. You can live life knowing that every single choice is yours to be able to glorify him in it. Is it a hard choice sometimes? Yeah, but you know what? You're never without the choice to glorify God. Every single time. Everything is for you because as Christ, John told us in 1 John, as Christ was in the world, so are we. What was Jesus doing? He was doing the will of the Father. What are we called to do? We're called to do the will of the Father. Was it Christ's, was it God's will for Christ to suffer? Yes. Yes, it was. Jesus asked him if it was his will in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, if there is another way, let's do something else. But if not, let your will be done. It was the Father's will that Jesus would go to the cross. It might be the Father's will for you to suffer, but that's not because he's against you. And how do we know he's not against us? Because of the light of Jesus. It's not because he's against you. So you can face every moment of life with the full power and confidence of knowing that God is for you and that it is there for your benefit, his glory, and the furthering of his purposes. Living in these ways are just some small things that we can be a light that shines so brightly in a dark world that could never understand that. The world can't understand a purpose for pain. The world doesn't understand why we would pray to the air in their, in, their, in their mind, we're just praying to the air. They don't understand why we strive so hard for purity of character to know the Lord. They don't understand that. It makes no sense. And I'll tell you what, it's really cool that we, uh, I, I love our church. 
Um, and something that's often that happens is, is that when people come into the church and you know, they'll just talk and, and they'll say things. And um, a couple of the, the younger people that I know or whatever, they'll be like, man, I love this place, <laughs> right? And they're like, why? And it's like, well, because I, when I come here, I feel welcome and accepted and I, I know I can belong here. And, and, and it's just, you know, do you understand that the community that we have here, it's a light, right? That the patience that we exercise with each other, that the love that we have for one another, that the willingness to live in, in openness with each other that we have, right? Listen, I can't live in openness in my workplace, <laughs> right? I can't go to school and be like, let me just talk to you about, you know, everything that's going on in my life, right? These are things that the world doesn't see that they don't know, right? They don't know. But guess what? You are the light of the world because Jesus has put that light inside of you. Because Jesus has put that light inside of you and he set you on a hill. He didn't hide you. He didn't take you out of the world. He left you right here. He didn't save you and say, good, let's go home. He left you here so you could shine and show what the world can't see, and that is the beauty of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your great gospel. We thank you for Jesus, the light of the world, who has shown us what is good and right and righteous. Lord, he's shown us you. Lord, we confess that we don't live uh, walking in that light so often, Lord, that, that we confuse it with darkness. But Lord, we, we confess all that and we repent, Lord. We, we, we bring ourselves to you and we want you to shine your light upon us, Lord. Fill us with yourself and teach us how to live as light in a very, very dark world, Lord. Lord, we, we, we just thank you for, for being our God and calling us your people. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.